right. Welcome, everyone. What's up, Story Geeks? Thank you for joining us today on the Story Geeks YouTube channel. I'm Tim Wozni, and today I get to be the man in the chair. Uh, today we're going to be talking about The Haunting of Bly Manor. And i got to toss out a spoiler warning. Today's podcast will uh, cover some spoilers from The Haunting of Bly Manor as well as The Haunting of Hill House. So, you want to be watching out for those spoilers. Uh, and because horror is not my personal cup of tea, joining me today are the Story Geeks podcast hosts, Sandra, Nick, and Justin. Welcome, you guys. Hey, Hi. thanks for having us. Uh, thank you for listening in as well. Uh, the Story Geeks YouTube channel is produced by the Reclamation Society. Make sure that you subscribe for more in-depth perspectives on geek content. Justin, I'm going to hand it over to you. Great, thanks. And I'm going to extend the spoiler warning one more. Uh, there may also be spoilers around um, the Haunted Mansion in Disneyland. <laughs> wearing, wearing that shirt, representing. So I'm just saying, there. I don't know where the conversation's going to go. Um, but I feel like, similar to Tim, a lot of our current Story Geeks community is not really into horror so i just kind of wanted to start this conversation with you guys really broadly with just like do you feel like there's anything redemptive or possibly redemptive about horror or is it just kind of only lingering in darkness what do you guys think oh i have so many feelings about this um so i was reading an article actually it's an excerpt from a book um called it was good performance arts and it's on God Loves Horror Movies. Um, so I just want to read like a little bit of um, this this chapter because it really spoke to me and it, it's basically a more eloquent way of saying what I try to say when people are like, how can you like horror and you're a Christian? Um, <laughs> so here are just some bits. It says, whatever psychological and emotional problems some people have with the horror genre, and it is not a genre for everyone, they certainly cannot say that their sentiments are God's own. The book of mm. Daniel reads like God's own horror film festival. The book of Revelation is an epic horror fantasy sequel to Daniel. Um, horror can be redemptive by reinforcing the doctrine of humanity's sinful nature. And in today's postmodern society that is so saturated with relative morality, horror and thriller stories have the ability to be an effective tool of communi communicating truth as well as an apologetic for the Christian worldview. Um, that's a lot to kind of unpack, but I just truly feel like stripping out even the theology behind it. We know that there's good and evil. We experience good and evil in the world. And so horror is a perfect example of that. And we see the depravity of humanity in these, in these horror films and then how we respond to that and our, our desire to see good win. Yeah. I was kind of thinking along a similar route, just that yeah. horror is a part of the human experience. There are mm -hmm. horrific things that happen. You know, you can turn on the news and just yeah. get a list of horrific things that are happening in our world. And so I think it's completely a fair realm to explore. I was thinking for horror movies in particular, the big thing that I've found myself talking about a lot in the last few years is I have a pretty big filter on what I'll even take in. And it usually is based on the storyteller. And I think there's a lot of value in seeing films and stories from storytellers that don't agree with your worldview because it helps you kind of expand how you are thinking and feeling and trying to be empathetic and think about things from another person's point of view. 
but when it comes to horror some of that can just like really get to me so for example mm. eli roth and um <laughs> rob zombie are, are two horror storytellers that i just avoid like i mm. don't care like personally what stories yeah. they're telling um but then people like jordan peele and scott derrickson are horror <sighs> storytellers that uh you know sometimes truly scare me and sometimes like make me really uncomfortable but i trust them as storytellers and so mm -hmm. i feel like you know going to the bible like you did you know we trust the storyteller um yeah. but when you take god and redemption and love out of the equation like some horror movies do um yeah it may not be as worth watching so i kind of answered both <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think people, because I've, you know, when people, if I say I've seen a horror movie or something, sometimes people say, like, oh, I can't, I can't watch horror movies. I don't, I don't understand why people like being scared or like watching scary things like that. But it's, you know, uh, I think people have it. They they'll see horror movies as thing that's all it all it needs to do is scare you, and that's the purpose of it. And they don't see, uh, you know, past like, yeah, that's what I mean. That's what can attract people to it is they like a good spook. Right. Um, but a lot of them, especially like the first uh, movie in like a horror franchise, which is usually like the purest form of, of whatever that film series is, has something to say yeah. um, underneath all the, all the horror. Um, and I think people get stuck on like the, you know, the, glorified version of like you know the halloween 58 and stuff like that where it's just like how many stabbings can we fit in this one you know right. um, hey i love halloween <laughs> so do i um but yeah i feel like that's that's a part of it as well yeah and so i'm excited that i get a chat with you guys and kind of pull out a lot of what i feel like is redeeming and interesting about this show um, and then we've had a couple shows in the past, you know, we've talked about it chapter one and two on the mm -hmm. podcast. So, um, you guys had a midsummer, uh, podcast for our yeah. Patreon supporters. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, horror, I don't know, it, it can be worth diving into. So I'm excited that, uh, some of you are diving in with us. Feel free to leave comments and ask us questions. Cause I've got a list of questions that I want to chat about, but I'm more than willing to get sidelined and derailed over something. So just, uh, again, kind of a, an intro question with uh, The Haunting of Bly Manor being the second season in this new anthology, um, which season did you guys prefer and either find more compelling or scarier uh, between The Haunting of Bly Manor and The Haunting of Hill House? Hmm. I, I personally am more partial to to Hill House just because it gave me everything uh, that I wanted and liked, which is uh, a lot of spooky and a lot of story, yeah. a lot of character based story, um, and like they balance each other out like perfectly uh, in that se in that season. Um, and Bly Manor does a, a a really good job on both sides of like the the spookiness and the character driven stuff but i feel like it's it leans a little more towards the character driven side of it um and uh for me uh the characters i i liked all the characters in blight manor 
but I loved all the characters in Hill House. Yeah. There's something about Hill House that uh, the time that you spend with those characters, the individual issues they have just really um, pulled me into each one of them, which is hard to do. Usually it's like you have one or two characters that you just, that you really love and you really latch onto, but like every single one of the characters, every member of the family, yep. uh, you know, you can totally see their points of view, why they act the way they do um the outlook on life that they have you, all based on the experiences they had mm-hmm. in that haunted house um and you just like want to hug all of them you know? yeah. <laughs> and and you want to do that sometimes in blind manner too um it's just i think uh just to a little lesser degree yeah i'm with you nick um i much preferred hill house i feel like first of all for the whole reason of watching the show, Hill House was much scarier. Mm-hmm. The ghosts, and this was a big thing for me, the ghosts in Hill House are extremely subtle. So I actually had like an article um, that I would go through episode by episode and be like, oh, okay, so this is a screen cap of when a ghost appeared. Oh, there it is. And you would see it like just a little tiny bit of its face. And that was really scary because they're not, it's just a regular conversation between the family, but there's this ghost in the back yeah. with Bly Manor. There'd be like a soldier just like, hey, like just standing, <laughs> just standing pretty blatantly in the background. Yeah. And it's the like the invisible monster kind of a thing where if you just get like a like you get a shoulder of the ghost, that's scarier than like the whole body just standing mm-hmm. there. Um, so it wasn't as scary. And then also just some of the way that the story was told. Mm. Um, I didn't mind that, you know, we have this kind of a time uh, loop or going back and forth in time because we have that in Hill House as well. It just felt more confusing to me. And it was hard to um, to track. Wait, did this really happen? Were yeah. they tucked away? Um, so for that, I felt like we didn't get resolution in the same way that we did with hill house and i can dive into that a little bit that was one of my favorite things about hill house was yeah it was a very subtle um indication that time for ghosts is kind of murky yeah and they kind of just left it at that and so like when you see things from their perspective it's things are a little distorted or um you know you're not sure if you're in the past or future but in this, it was like very overtly like explained how the rules work yeah. for ghosts. Yeah. And I think there, <laughs> I, I, I could have used less of that. Yeah. And yeah. it was, um, oh, just real quick. I, we Off air, we were talking about this. And one of the things I said is that it was very much like um, in the sixth sense with Hill House, we got to, once we realized who was a ghost and all that stuff, um, we didn't, we, we got to go back and see, oh, here's actually what was really happening. We don't see that in Bly Manor. So it's, it left things unresolved, which mm. I, it just didn't feel like that was, um, that added to the story, you know, let, living unresolved is one thing, but like, it just didn't feel like it added to the story. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to be the third person in this boat. I preferred <laughs> Haunting of Hill House. I thought that Bly Manor was perfectly splendid. 
I really yeah. did enjoy it. But um, <laughs> if I'm comparing the two, you know, if I was telling someone you had to watch one this season and that was it, you know, I would be recommending Hill House. Yeah, um, yeah the the bent neck lady. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! An incredible example to me of how Hill House was both what you were talking about, Nick, scarier. Mm-hmm. And I felt more connected to those characters because that single example, you know, mm. goes so deep. So, uh, um, but as long as we're talking about the two seasons, um, there were a lot of similar themes and lines and even faces uh, from The Haunting of Hill House pre- present in The Haunting of Bly Manor. Um, I don't know. What was your favorite? What, what was the thing you kind of walked away thinking about? For me, it was the, the how people deal with uh, guilt. Hmm. The big thing in the show, uh, I felt like, um, you know, with the uh, Uncle Henry, is it, it was a very literal uh, example of like somebody who has to live with themselves, hmm. <laughs> and he's very much living with uh, like basically a, a, a ghost of himself, where you know that's the uh manifestation or apparition of all the bad things that he's done um and how he has to overcome that um and each person has like something like danny has something she f- feels guilty about you know and um it's 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 a hard thing like when you you feel guilty about something and you feel like you can't fix it or resolve it mm-hmm. in any way and it's just becomes about how do you move on from that yeah thing like if if there's no one left to forgive you you know yeah. how do you how do you keep going um and I, that's something i thought was pretty uh poignant about that season mm. yeah. um, i i felt like there was I mean, in, in addition to that, that there was a lot of um, conversation about love and mm-hmm. about loss and how how we kind of interpret that because like Henry and his sister-in-law believe that they love each other. And so they, they have an affair and she has a child mm-hmm. um, with him and that from their perspective is love, but it really isn't love. Uh, Same with Peter and uh, is it Jessica? Rebecca. The first? Rebecca. Oh, Rebecca, Rebecca. Rebecca Jessel. Rebecca Jessel, yes. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So with Peter and Rebecca, that they believe they're in love, but, you know, Peter's not really loving her well. And the same Mm. with, um, the other characters, Viola and her husband, um, and then even Viola and her sister. Mm. It's just this like corrupt type of love and what happens when um, when love isn't in the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, very conditional. It's very conditional. And um, I can hold off on explaining why I think there are only two characters who get love, right? But yeah, I, I feel like it's just, it, it's a, a misplaced love. 
and the consequences of that. The consequences of that are guilt and the consequences of that are loss. And what means are we willing to go to in order to prevent loss or to suppress the guilt or hide the guilt? Mm. So just a lot of a lot of that, like really, really ugly feeling. Mm. Yeah, I feel like when we're talking about, you know, poor examples of love, one thing we could kind of start working into the conversation is possession terminology um Mm. you know someone being too controlling you know and so we'll we'll, i anticipate we'll talk more about that as we go but the show played with that theme in some really interesting ways and i hope owen is one of the characters that you think did love really well i loved that guy (laughs) um and when i was thinking about uh kind of callbacks to um haunting of hill house a, you know, you immediately recognize a lot of the cast. And I thought that was just really, <laughs> if it had been a lesser uh, filmmaker, I feel like it would have just been really cheap. But I mean, it bought mm-hmm. me so much empathy for so many of the characters immediately because it's like, oh, I walked through Hill House with you. You know, I already <laughs> care about you. What's your new name? Got it. Okay. But I care about you so much because you were Nell, you know. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then there were just some one lines that uh, hit me so hard because um, there was a when uh, Miles and Flora's mom was talking to Henry and mm. she says, you know, uh, we're going to go on, retrace our honeymoon. We're going to uh, work on our marriage. I can fix it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, the dad mm. in Hill House said I can fix it so many times. Yeah. Um, and and then when, she immediately kisses him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, and then when Hannah disappears, she disappears mid sentence, and she's like, "Tell them that the rest of it is, you know, she's gone." And I can only assume she was going to say the rest is confetti, like uh, Nell explained um, in the Haunting of Hill House. So there were just things like that. Oh, but then the one that made me really mad was when Peter was trying to convince Miles to do the whole permanent possession thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he was talking about it being his forever home. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, such a horrible use of that term that I fell in love with from the first <laughs> season. Um, man, Peter, I'm going to talk more about Peter later. Um, but uh, like I was saying, you know, the show says uh, that there are so many similarities and some people confuse love and control and love and possession. Mm-hmm. So possession as an idea is overtly dealt with repeatedly in the show uh even a bible passage is read and kind of preached on by a father um about possession um how do you feel the show handled that topic it's not a new topic to horror you know how did bly handle it you know i feel like it didn't cue the viewer in for quite a while so it you know we would see these kids like something's happening Flora's looking at something. <laughs> Miles is a weird kid. Like something's up with this kid. Um, so it took it took a minute to understand what was really happening. Um, and I think that the way it was handled, a little, um, I, what I'm used to seeing in possession type films is like when a character is being possessed, they're pretty much not going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so to see that like a switch 
I think was a little different from what I've seen. I'm sure there are other films or examples of where there is a back and forth, but I just haven't, haven't seen those or can't recall. Um, so it was interesting to see that switch, to see them kind of jumping into the bodies and then leaving. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, um, it was definitely it, unique. It was unique. Yeah. And I don't know, was it ever clear if Viola took possession of anyone or was she just the faceless lady from the lake and that's it? Uh, well, I mean, she did take possession of Danny. Danny. Yeah. Uh, but aside from, from that, prior to that no. character? I think that's to speak to her character because she didn't let anyone in. Oh. And she, did. she, she yeah. didn't really connect with anyone. She just wanted what she wanted. Um, and so like she, when she was finally asked, like, you know, do you feel like to do, you know, that those magic words, like you mm -hmm. mean us, she, that's like pretty much the only thing that gives her pause when she's walking back into the lake. What's fascinating though, is that she didn't possess, but she was very much concerned about possessions like mm -hmm. tangible possessions, even right. though her character says, I can say without vanity that I'll let these things go, talking about mm. her silk gowns and all that and her jewelry, but she wasn't really letting them go. There are definite strings attached. Like you better not open up this case <laughs> for anyone. I mean, my sister. Yeah. And if you do, like there's going to be hell to pay literally. And, and so she, she was holding on to possessions in that sense, but not actually, like you said, letting people in mm -hmm. um, or, or trying to have that sort of connection. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't think about that until you said it, but yeah, it, it's interesting to see the the different types of possessions we see in this, um, in this series. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, with, with that possession that she does with Danny, um, like her whole thing is that it's not, she just like takes possession and takes control. She just, she waits mm -hmm. for, like, the right of the proper time um so right yeah i feel like the only times we really see her relating to people is kind of <laughs> very aggressive uh the lady in the lake um she yeah takes hold of those situations and yeah um with possession two things kind of stood out to me um, one was this was a movie that or a TV show that didn't really give any example of exorcism. And I feel mm -hmm. like that usually kind of goes hand in hand with most possession situations uh, at any point. So we were talking about how it was going back and forth and there was kind of that bump or whatever when the spirit of Peter or Rebecca could kind of force their way in for a temporary time. But then if um, they did the you, me, us and kind of allowed the possession, that was permanent. There there didn't seem to be yeah. any solution um, mm -hmm. past that. And that was that was interesting um, because yeah. I, I, I kept trying to figure out what this was saying about marriage because the <laughs> you, me, us feels like marriage vows. And so we watched several people yeah. get married um, yeah. or like right up to almost getting married. Um, and, and then possession is kind of the only other thing that, that permanent possession is kind of the only other parallel. Um, 
there is a uh, one they do mention exorcism uh they said like a priest came to do an exorcism uh, of the house and it just so happened to be when she was doing oh. her bath and he came, and she killed didn't the turn out well for him the exorcism but because she's like in that trance of from walking to the lake to the bedroom and back. She just yeah. she, didn't, she didn't even know she did it. Got it. I didn't catch that that was for an exorcism. I just thought it was, you know, someone coming to do last rites or. Yeah, yeah it was uh, uh, is really quick in uh, Carla Gugino's narration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she just mentioned it really fast. When you talk about the you, me, us, I mean, that could be marriage vows, but I think of it as um, opening up a door to something that is going to be harmful. So when Mm -hmm. we think about like vampire stories, they can't come in unless you let them in. Right. And, and so it's, it's from that perspective that I viewed it, that they are like, okay, I'm fully giving into this now I'm letting you in. And now like, this is, you know, this is a sealed deal um, versus marriage vows, which I think and hope would be a little bit better and not about possession. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the, the marriage vows we do see in the show um, is it uh, is with Viola, and she like edits them to her liking. I didn't remember that. It's it's when she marries her husband, um, and the the vicar is um, you know telling yes. her how to repeat. Right. And she, she doesn't say that she'll obey. Yeah, oh. and and they Girl make a my great, own heart. They make a great line about that because they're like, you know, yeah. and it didn't surprise God because He made her and He knew that about her. So yeah. <laughs> hmm. Um, there was something else I wanted to say about possession, but I anticipate we will have time to circle back to that. Um, uh, one of the things I've really appreciated about uh, both Hill House and Bly Manor is showing how people are haunted by a number of things. And Nick, you kind of already started to talk about this. Um, Not only the ghosts, you know, which is kind of the hook and the, you know, fun thing to get you into the show, but some people are haunted by memories and regrets and past hurts and even, yeah, their own character and choices. Um, So what did you walk away, you know, haunted by from this show? What did you walk away thinking about when they were just defining the vast variety of ghosts? Hmm. Uh, I think for me, it was the fact that for, for all the characters that experienced that, I think in the show, they call them like dream, dream hopping where you're reliving memories Um, that reliving your best memories over and over again, isn't necessarily the best thing. It could actually, actually become your hell. (laughs) 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 Like even, even like uh, Flora, like, you know, experiencing her, her happiest memories, like with her, with her mom and it makes her sad because she knows it's, she knows it's not, it's one thing she knows it's not real and she knows what happened after. Yeah. Um, So it's like, what made it happy in the moment was that moment. It's not when the knowledge of everything that came after comes in, it makes it, uh, you know, not a fun place to be necessarily. Um, it was the same thing with Peter um, and uh, I think so, Hannah um, when she, like her happiest memory was meeting Owen. 
but she keeps going through that over and over again and wants to stay there and realizes no, like no i gotta i gotta move on yeah. even as a ghost yeah gotta move on and i love that owen was saying you know this isn't me yeah this is just your memory of me you know you're you're making this up like i'm not a real person right now mm-hmm. um yeah it kind of is in some ways kind of a call to us to live in the present and in reality and not yeah be stuck in trying to relive the good old days you know like you said that might be hell or even you know being too anxious and fearful about the future because we don't really have much power with uh the past or the future but we have a lot that we can do you know here in the present yeah i'm also haunted by little faceless ghost boy that's I thought that was one of the most out-and-out fun horror mechanics I've ever seen. It's like, he'll take care of the haunted house. He'll tell you where all the ghosts are. I'm like, that's awesome. I'm in. (laughs) I like when uh, Flora puts that doll face on him. Like, there, that's better. And it's like, like, that's not better. better. (laughs) That is 50,000 times worse. (laughs) (laughs) I think for me, um, the... I, I had trouble really connecting with characters until mm-hmm. the last two episodes and really the last episode. Yeah. Um, and that is the one that made it all worth it for me. Mm. Um, and the, the haunting is really um, the gardeners. What she's haunted by is such a deep longing mm-hmm. uh, for her love. You know, she is, Jamie is missing Danny so much every night she fills up that tub she fills up that sink and she leaves the door open which is super dangerous but that's how important <laughs> it is but i mean i was like in your hotel room girl like that yeah <laughs> so she leaves the door open and like i think we all can relate to that we all can relate to you know hopefully not to that degree but yeah. surely some nights or some moments or seasons where we have such a deep longing to see a loved one again. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I loved that moment that we get with Danny and with Jamie, where Jamie's older now and she's just sitting there in, in the hotel room with the chair or in the chair. And we see that Danny has her hand on her, on her shoulder. And it, it resolved that for me. Like, you know what? She has this deep longing and I wish that she could see that Danny's there with her. I wish she could see that, but that was a big, uh, a big theme for me and what, what I took from it because some of the other hauntings were there, but it's like, okay, so Henry feels guilty. You should feel guilty. You know, <laughs> Peter feels guilty and ragey while, you know, you're a dirt bag. Um, but I connected with, with Jamie and with Danny. So mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. like the, the haunting of deep longing. Yeah. Um, And that last image, I I feel like it's intended almost for a movie theater where you're kind of like, wait, was that what, you know, because I I feel like it happened quickly, uh, or at least I caught on to it just before it cut to black. Um, And so it it was kind of a last little jump because I kind of realized it, but, you know, not out of fear or anything, but just like, oh, Um, yeah. The, the two things that I walked away thinking about from this show 
Um, well, one thing I remembered, and it's just uh, how fascinating it is that Danny uses possession as actual love, um, that she is mm-hmm. sacrificially yep. putting herself out there, right? It kind of reminded me of um, uh, A Quiet Place when the father, oh, you know, yeah. like yells and, you know, he, he, it's obviously to their own demise but it's for the good of someone else. And I think that's the only time that possession, yeah, is is done in that way from true love. Um, and it's super tragic, but, you know, really cool. Um, but then I was so frustrated with Peter. So <laughs> frustrated with Peter. Because um, when he's doing his memory hopping and he goes to his own personal hell, it's that conversation with his mom. And he makes some comments that sound like his father sexually abused him. They're not super overt with that, but it just, you know, something was, yeah. something bad was happening. It sounded between... like him, him and other children. Mm-hmm. Like that, so yeah. it's just like, you know, there's deep hurt there. Um, but then even when he kind of, comes to that sort of catharsis in that memory um it still doesn't change what he's trying to convince miles to do he's trying to you know enter miles and possess him forever and it was just like bro out of you know everyone in this story you should know this is wrong you know um on several levels um and so one level being that he wanted his girlfriend to possess the sister of miles yeah and that they were going to go off and be together yeah <laughs> which yeah. was we- that was weird <laughs> yeah it's like well, what's, your, what's your long game here what what's what's yeah. the plan has anyone thought this through let's write this down and make pros and cons list um so yeah he he frustrated me he was mm-hmm. just a selfish person through and through even when he kind of had a moment that i felt like he could have learned and taken the high road. You know, he is talking from the very beginning about, you know, hey, people just have different keys and you just need to find the right key. And it's like, oh, what a <laughs> what a sleazeball. Um, so I just, yeah, he was what haunted me. <laughs> I did not like him. Yeah. He, it was a great character and a great story. I just was so sad that yeah, we didn't villain. figure it out. Um. Uh, one of the visual themes throughout Bly Manor specifically um, is uh, faces. And whether that's seeing a ghost in your reflection, um, the spirits eventually losing their face, or a change in eye color when that permanent possession happens. Um, I was just kind of curious what you guys thought about that and what it was trying to get at. What was that communicating? Yeah, you know we could try to extrapolate different things from that. Um, we can think about identity mm-hmm. and they're losing their identity uh, because what they're doing as ghosts wasn't really what they were meant to do. So I think perfectly for Viola, this is a, a good example um, that she had a moment again, where she said she would let go of those possessions, but she didn't, she let her jealousy and her anger, um, lead the way even in death like she's dying you're not 
going to be here anymore, but yeah. she refused to leave. She, re, you know, rejects God and was like, no, I'm staying here. And, um, you know, so she, she loses really her, her identity and what she could have been um, in her final days was, you know, a loving mom, a loving wife, a loving sister, but she wasn't, she was focused on being angry um, that she was sick and that she was leaving. And I mean, and that has got to be tough anyway, but, but it just, you know, she went out in such a bad way of, of um, being so very angry. Um, and, all these other characters who are kind of losing their identity or losing, losing who they are as a, as a person. It, I, it's almost like they're fading away and they don't really have purpose. They don't really have um, a mission on, on what they're like the little kid. What, like, what are you supposed to be there for? You're just kind of faceless. Yeah. Um, so that's what I would think is just um, thinking of identity and, mm -hmm. and who they are truly meant to be. And then actually, how they are being and it's not quite who they're meant to be yeah and just to add on to that um i mean it's it's viola's anger and just stubborn will that kind of curses the grounds yeah um and that that's what keeps anyone anyone who like she didn't even have to kill them to keep them there it's just anybody that died on the grounds right was sucked in by her uh her anger and um just resentment um and i think that's like you're saying sandra it's like they're they're not able to do what they're meant to do and so they're just stuck in this stasis where they're there for so long that like they're forgetting who they are mm -hmm. and they're forgetting that everything about their life really and they're just like these husks that are just standing there like touching like their faces as they're fading away yeah. and, until it's completely gone and then they're just kind of there <laughs> they're, they're yeah. not they're not doing i mean you see if you're looking in the background throughout the show they're just kind of standing around yeah it's very much like Gollum and smeagol mm -hmm. mm. yeah and let, there's there's no way for them to move on until that kind of curse is broken mm -hmm. and that's the only thing that can undo the possession as well mm. is for that curse to be lifted yeah and that's what, how peter has his like pretty much his his only cathartic moment is once he's finally separated from miles he's like oh i'm sorry <laughs> i'm really really sorry and then they kind of are able to all move on yeah um but yeah yeah, at the very least, I thought it was a cool visual. I hadn't seen that done thematically. Like, I've seen some monsters and ghosts that kind of look similar throughout, you know, I, I can't even remember exactly where, but um, but that was done more intentionally and as a story element, and I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. And as you were talking, Nick, I was almost just kind of feeling, as both of you were talking, actually, um, if we could draw some somewhat hyperbolic parallels to this time that we're living in when people are so, um, you know, socially distanced from each other um, and alone, um, how many of us are experiencing some lack of identity or kind of forgetting who we are 
just because so much has changed <laughs> in the last while. Um, yeah, and, you know, this show was made before COVID-19, so that wasn't, you know, something that he was overtly trying to explore. But when you guys were talking about that, I was just kind of imagining a lot of people are experiencing some parallels, just kind of having less to do and less drive and less purpose. Um, yeah. So maybe the lady in the lake is the cause of COVID-19. We'll look into this. <laughs> well, the plague did uh, make it to Bly Manor. It That's did. <laughs> it, but I think you bring up a good point because it's not only kind of where we are, you know, we live in this culture where being productive equals being valued. Yeah. And some of us can't be productive because we're furloughed or we're laid off or, <laughs> you know, we're just things have shifted. We're not going to school, um, mm -hmm. things like that. Like it equals no value mm -hmm. like that. It, it doesn't, but we view it that way because we're so um, conditioned to feel like we have to constantly be productive in order to be of value. Um, so we've lost our own identity, but we've also um, lost seeing identity in other people, which is why we have such very cruel behavior mm -hmm. that, um, you know, people are, how people are treating each other, not only in social media, but on the streets. Um, and, and there's a lack of identity. There's a lack of like, oh, you're a person. So I'm not going to scream these slurs at you and tell yeah. you, you know, X, Y, Z. It's just um, kind of all around, um, lack of, of humanity in ourselves and in others. And it's really sad. Mm -hmm. And, and I feel like the eighth episode, the black and white episode highlights a, a fair amount of what you were just talking about. Not so much the tension between different people um, mm -hmm. and, you know, the slurs and uh, all of that, but just people missing the point <laughs> of all of it. You know, both of the sisters at different times uh, are so much more concerned about their possessions and their wealth. And, you know, I think we could argue that uh, the husband that they both share at different times is kind of seen more as a possession by both of them um, than, yeah. you know, another human. Um, there are rifts in the family when Viola's alive. She's not connecting with her daughter well. Um, and she's so angry. And, yeah, so holds on to her dresses and her necklaces and everything so tightly but it's like man if you had put that much energy into your relationship with your daughter you know how would the story have gone differently um yeah so measuring ourselves by productivity or possessions um yeah, yeah ultimately leads to dehumanizing someone whether it's ourself or others yeah um, sure mm-hmm I didn't have any notes on that. Those are fun. <laughs> Those are interesting things to talk about. Yeah. Um, so uh, which character arc or story, uh, storyline, did you guys find the most compelling um, or frustrating or kind of whatever word you want to put to that um, in Bly Manor? Hmm. Sandra, you can go first. Yeah, and I'm going to say uh, same as Sandra. We, we had a small chat uh, before this. 
We did. Okay. So for me, it's Danny and Jamie. Um, mm. I truly feel like they were the only ones who, who acted out of love. Um, in the beginning, we know that Danny has left some situation and we're not sure what, and we know that she's struggling with um, being haunted by this figure. And then ultimately we find out that it's her fiance who, she ended up breaking things off with and then in anger he leaves the car and gets struck and killed um and she's stuck with the weight of that um but she she broke things off with him out of love understanding hey you know what she realized that she actually is uh, attracted to women and didn't want to as much as she loved him and they were best friends she didn't want to step into that marriage um, knowing that she didn't love him in the way that he needed to be loved. So she acts there and it, and it's sacrificial because she knows that she's going to likely lose her best friend. And then she's now with this family and we see her falling in love with, with Jamie, the gardener. And um, in that, like, well, I'll, I'll kind of pause Danny's journey and her sacrificial love, but with Jamie, Jamie knows that Danny's struggling. And so they kiss and and then uh, Danny freaks out because she sees her, her ex-fiance. And Jamie doesn't take advantage of her vulnerability. She's like, mm, we're going to put this on pause for a minute. And she lets her process what she's struggling with. And I really liked those moments because um, right there was already showing Jamie's love for her and her patience for her that it wasn't um, even so much that she wanted to be with her romantically that she loved her as a person more than her desire to make out with her. So she, <laughs> she let her, let her process. Um, she said, let's just take things slow. And then when, when Danny ultimately got possessed by Viola um, and Danny's like, I'm going to be taken over at some point, Jamie was very patient in saying like one day at a time. And let's just, I'll walk through this with you together and we'll, we'll live as much life as we can together. And then as soon as Danny knows that's it, it's tipped, the scales have tipped to Viola's favor. She pieces out mm. and she goes into the lake and she ends the cycle, which is so brave of Danny. She ends it. Even when Jamie's like, please like you, me, us, let's mm. just be together. Mm. Um, she is so sacrificial in that and is like, no, I can't do it. Like, I mean, we don't hear her say that, but we know that she has the power to do it and she doesn't do it. Um, and to me that spoke to um, really like when we think about loss and we think about the person who has gone ahead of us, um, that if they had the ability, they still want us to live. They want us to go on and they don't want to possess us. Um, they don't want us to, sacrifice our life so that they can have um they can have us and i thought that was so powerful to see like even as desperate as jamie was to be with danny danny's like no like this is this is where i am and you need to be here and so their whole love story even though it largely unfolded in the last episode um that to me was an example of sacrificial love and love that was done well um and i came out of nowhere but as soon as like that end scene 
that that end shot, I just started crying. And then the credits are rolling and I just like kept crying. It was so, so beautiful. So those two mm. characters are it for me. <laughs> yeah, I want you to go first because I was afraid I was going to say the same thing and I would have. Um, <laughs> so I, I go a different route to, so we have some variety, but um, like with it's it's very sh it's very short. It doesn't really span the whole show, but uh, with uh, Hannah Gross, who's the um, yes. the uh, housekeeper at Bly Manor, um, just how uh, and I like the analogy that um, the possessed uh, Miles uh, makes. He's like, you're kind of like the uh, the the coyote, coyote from the cartoon. Like you just keep running off the cliff and as long as you don't look down you just keep going and you you need to you need to look down and accept where you are um and i just i thought like her i i really liked her episode where uh it's before they kind of explain all the the time craziness and stuff like that where she just seems lost and doesn't know where she is in any particular moment in time um, because she's just uh, she doesn't know it but she's hopping between memories um, and just I, I just thought it was interesting that you know it's something that we can do as people where we just kind of refuse to accept where where we are in our lives and we just keep uh, quote unquote like living uh, even though it's not really living, we're just like moving on and just pretending like things are normal um, instead of accepting the truth, even if the truth is hard. Mm. Um, and and there's so many reminders out there what the truth is. And for Hannah, it's the cracks in the walls that she always she notices the same crack pattern, uh, like in the kit in a kitchen at Bly, uh, like on the the wall of the church and uh, I think on uh, one of the bedroom walls, um, which turns out to be the last image she actually saw when she passed um, at the bottom of the well. Um, so I just, it's, you know, it's, it's not all of the show, um, but, you know, I, I thought that was just tragic because, you know, she, I feel like she was one of the, one of the good people really. Yeah at that uh just befell a terrible fate at the hands of a a ghost yeah um but yeah i just felt really bad for her and i'm glad that she finally uh looked down even though it was hard because then it allowed her to uh not only move on but uh protect uh the people that she loved hmm. um I wish she and Owen had more time to yeah. be in relationship with each other, whether that was just a deepening friendship or a romance. Um, I really liked both of them for each other. I loved that she made him shepherd's pie uh, the day of his mom's funeral and that she extends him so much grace in the grieving process that he's going through. Um and then I think Owen's a really good guy. And he's also an interesting example um, of what we'll get to in a minute of just how do you move on from loss? You know, he describes Bly 
as kind of a trap, you know, a gravity well that people get stuck in. And we learn, you know, like we've been talking about that that's, uh, you know, an analogy for what's happening with the lady in the lake. But then he does go on, you know, he has a restaurant of his own and he has Hannah's picture up in the restaurant, but he's moved on. You know, he, he's kind of taking that bit from the past and, and continuing on and honoring, you know, that she would have wanted him to keep going and uh, live a life. Um, so for me specifically, my favorite uh, character arc is Jamie, the gardener in particular, um, pretty much for everything you've already talked about, Sandra. But I love that the first time that we really get a sense of who she is, she has that great monologue about why she doesn't feel it's worth investing in people. They'll just hurt you. They'll leave you. And it's not really measurable the way that gardens are measurable. She knows what she'll get out of the effort that she's putting into the gardening. And it's not that way with people. And she walks through her past hurt, you know, and you're kind of like, I get why you'd believe that because of everything that you've been through. Mm. And for it to end in a place where she chooses to love Danny, not only in kind of a hopeful way, but in a way that, you know, she knows where it's going to end. She knows that it is going to end and it's going to end in tragedy. Um, and she still invests, you know, and she leans in um, and she's vulnerable. Um, I'm reading through a book right now uh, by Brene Brown that uh, is talking about vulnerability and that there's some kind of belief that sort of holding people or um, relationships at an arm's distance is sort of protecting ourselves, you know, so it won't hurt as bad when they're gone or when it's over. Um, but really that doesn't help anything. You know, it, it doesn't avoid the pain really. Um, but it does avoid the joy, you know, and it, it does avoid, um, the small quiet moments that make life beautiful. And so I think that Jamie's arc goes from that really standoffish position toward people and relationships uh to risking and being vulnerable and ultimately um losing right her her love but we also get the benefit of hearing her as the storyteller um narrating the whole thing and i think fundamentally saying it was worth it you know from her perspective so ooh, loved jamie yeah um and, and we've kind of started going into this question, but it's just um, this show asks a lot of questions about how to move on from loss um, and how to live life invested in light of future loss that we know is looming, that we know is coming eventually. Um, how can looking at a ghost story like this help us live well in a world where we will experience loss? Yeah, well, I, th I think it can draw some pretty, uh, I mean, pretty good parallels uh, mm -hmm. using ghost stories in that in that sense, because you you can very literally represent like that, like they do in Bly Manor, like how do how are these dead people, you know, going to move on, and how are the people that are left 
behind going to move on. Um, and you can watch them literally do that, you know, um, by through their actions and how, how they love each other, especially with, uh, Danny and, and Jamie, um, and Jamie more specifically, because we get to actually see her years and years later, uh, like where, where she is and how she has coped with it. Like, you know, it's, uh, I think, um, she says it, uh, Jamie says it, um, to the, it's the bride to be in the last episode. They, after everybody kind of leaves there, they stay, they stay for a minute and talk. Um, and the bride says like how, you know, I, I love him so much and I know he loves me equally like the same. And my biggest fear is that he goes before me and how do I, how do I keep living? Yeah. in a world without him and um uh, jamie just says you know you you can um and it's it's difficult it's really hard and it doesn't get it doesn't get any easier mm. but you like learn to accept it and you learn to keep going and it's you know it the memory of like what you had is, is still special to you and it still means something and it still, uh, it still matters. Yeah. And like all that time and energy you put into that, to the relationship is still worth it. Um, yeah. And so like, like I was talking about earlier with, you know, when people are like, I don't want to be spooked by, you know, horror movies. Why do you watch scary movies? It's like for things like that, you know, they, it these ghost stories can help you you know start thinking about that like with the people in your life like what you know what would i do if i lost that person and you know, renews like your appreciation for them and helps you to focus on on the now and not uh dwell on dwell on the past uh you know if if they've gone um and helps you you know move on to the future you know i think that um i mean y'all know i'm a big stephen king fan and, and so is nick um, so with pet cemetery mm -hmm. um the theme there talks about like sometimes dead is like better yeah. the, the better thing to be is is dead because when we bring things back in an unhealthy way um that is not uh it's not a good decision and it it ends up not giving you the results that you want which is that the loved one back because they're not the same anymore and then in uh the haunting of blind manor it says dead doesn't mean gone and yeah. so we kind of see these two versions of what it looks like to to stand in your loss and to stand in your grief i can go the route of being very unhealthy and you know clinging to um, my anger and my guilt and um, my the, the weight of my loss to the point of being just debilitated. Um, or I can um, I can know that they're with me in, in a sense um, and and but still be alive, knowing that our loved ones wouldn't want us to die even in a figurative sense. So sometimes when we lose somebody, 
we stop doing the things that are um, like stop taking care of ourselves. Mm. We stop maybe if it's a, a, a partner, we don't look for love anymore. And not to say that you have to, mm. but um, to that we don't want to die in a figurative sense. Our loved ones wouldn't want us to die in a figurative sense. And so we have kind of like these two ways of coping with with loss. We see it in a very negative way. And then we see it in a way that is still hard. Grief is hard. Grief is with you forever. Um, but how can you deal with it in a way that is honoring the person that you loved and, and honoring the person they love, which is yourself, making sure you're still, you know, in relationship with other people, you're still, you know, striving to, to not lose your identity and you're holding their memories and cherishing those memories. And it, so I think like that is kind of what we see in, in Bly Manor with, at least with Jamie, that she's in it. She's in the, the, the weight of her grief, but she's trying to do it in a healthy way. And, and the other characters are not. Mm -hmm. And I feel like exactly like you were saying that whether you're processing the grief in a healthy, productive way or a self-destructive way or yeah. taking it out on other people. Um, none of those negate the pain, right? Yeah. It's just, it's just mm -hmm. that you have choices. You know, you're not possessed by this, this dead one, this one that, you know, has gone. And I mean, you know, I think there are parallels to divorce or even someone moving to the other side of the country, you know, that can feel um, like huge losses because it just fundamentally changes the relationship and there's um, a rift. Uh, and even when it's chosen, that can be harder sometimes. Um, but yeah, the theme of debt is not gone. Um, it continues to you know, not only be a spooky thing, right? Because the dead people aren't gone at Bly Manor, but it continues to remind people that there was an impact and there will continue to be an impact um, that these people had and will have on your future. And you carry, yeah, memories and that relationship uh, moving forward, even if there won't be new memories right now. Um, the first season haunting of hill house i think dove more into the idea of loss and grief and processing um and so yeah if someone's watching this and gotten this far and still hasn't seen the first <laughs> season they should go back and watch that it's it's a masterpiece i love that show oh, um we, we even got to see the um in episode six i believe the siblings and the father all represent each stage of grief this uh, is yeah, I had heard that. And is that the episode, The Two Storms? Yes, that mm -hmm. is the one with like five long takes. Yeah. Amazing. Just yeah. for like how the well crafted and yeah. choreographed that was and having like these little hideaways where they can mm -hmm. go from one set to another in the same take. Yeah. yeah. And, I was expecting an episode like that in Bly Manor, but I know. since there wasn't one, I was like, I don't blame them. That one looked hard in Hill House. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I didn't even realize that was the case until about two weeks ago. I came across a video that explained how they did that, and they shut down production for a while to choreograph and prepare uh, for those takes. And then 
they built the sets like you were saying sandra from the get-go yep to be next to each other for those shots for that one episode um mm. and that episode someone made the comment to me that it felt like a play um mm -hmm. and it's you know high drama yeah. and a lot's going on and it's, it's wonderful but then when i found out how long some of those shots actually really were even though they seem impossible because they had done so much planning um mm -hmm. it brought you into it on a different level so yeah there there was nothing quite like that in blind manner for me either nick yeah. so mm -hmm. and, and you're I right you can't blame them they kind of nailed it yeah <laughs> I, I don't know about you nick because i know we both kind of uh well you did a little bit more but i was um going to school for like a film major and i am a big sucker for long takes like yeah even if it's one. a fake long take because it's like they cut it um such that it looks like it's like it's one long take i'm mm -hmm. just such a sucker for long takes <laughs> yeah well there's something about it that it's makes it feel um not just more like intimate like you're yeah you're in the scene but it like you know it enhances your believability of what's yeah. going on because when it, everything is happening in camera and scenes are changing in camera and especially like in in hill house with the like you know there's ghosts that pop up here and there that like from one side of the room to the other and you know that's a lot of like choreographing they had to do so yeah yeah i when you're talking about long camera shots i think of nick cage's movie snake eyes and I think I, that was the one i had in mind because it had a fake one it had a cut but yeah. uh and mm -hmm. one cut. yeah like his back or something he like yeah uh the, um, the tv when they they uh, pan over to the tv that one is a cut too i think oh got it yeah. um and i think that was the best part of that movie the opening i know <laughs> the opening like the 20 minutes or whatever <laughs> it's like cool look okay. up um for a snake eyes podcast yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so uh one question that i kind of wanted to throw back over to you guys um when after everyone leaves Bly, when you know Danny is possessed by the lady in the lake, they go to Owen's restaurant, and he explains to them that Flora and Miles don't really remember much about it. Mm -hmm. um, they have vague memories; they know they live there, um, but they don't, you know, remember the details that we just lived through with them. And there's kind of a question of like whether they should tell them or not. Um, and mm -hmm. then that's ultimately resolved when we learn that Jamie, the gardener, is telling Flora, who is now a bride-to-be, um, the entire story. And she chooses not to say, and you're the little girl, you know, or, or like kind of hammer it over the head that this happened to you. Um, and I was just kind of curious if you guys kind of agreed with her choice, um, if you would have just said you know, let them be. If they don't remember that, you know, man, what a blessing. Or if you would have, yeah, kind of taken them to therapy and tried to say like, here's everything that happened. Uh, where would you guys have gone on that? Go ahead, Nick. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think a, a way of like, I guess of having a best of both is like having Jamie tell the story and yeah. it's like, they're still gonna, they're, they will glean uh what they need to learn hmm. from that from you know even though like they might not remember it happened to them they hear us they hear the story of it and they can still glean like uh, the lessons that they needed to learn from it 
um, and apply it to their own lives. And I, I think Flora kind of takes that to heart yeah. um, in the end, because I mean, she takes that, that minute to keep talking to Jamie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if I would overtly go like, and now I'm going to tell you the story about how you guys got possessed by ghosts <laughs> and you almost drowned in a lake. Um, but I, I think, yeah, just Jamie telling, telling the story and not telling them it was them, um, was perfect. Yeah. That was a good way of doing it. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, first, you know, I think it, it is maybe an unintentional nod to the fact that kids are very resilient and they are very, very good at preserving their worlds. Um, I like that that they that they forgot because we saw in Hill House they didn't forget they didn't remember entirely but they didn't forget like they knew a lot of uh, they were aware of a lot of the bad things that happened as as mm-hmm. children and so you see a lot of you know issues with um, Theo you know she's not able to touch people um, because of like her ability to. Um, feel and know who they are and so so she uses that sparingly but it's it's um a lot of torture for her it's a lot of torture for the the one brother who ends up just constantly in rehab obviously it's a lot of um trauma to process for now um so i like that we don't see that that they're the kids are able to grow up and and hopefully be productive members of society although we talked about you don't have to be productive to be valuable. So valuable members of society. Um, just happy people. <laughs> just happy people. Yeah. yeah you know, um, love well. Do you love well? Then awesome. Um, so I like that. And and I, it makes sense to me too, because when they were possessed, they were tucked away. Yeah. So right. they, they, it makes sense that they, they wouldn't remember. And if anything, they're just probably confused as to why they remember sweet moments with the mom or with the dad but the age fluctuates mm-hmm. you know because oh i should have I, I should be five or six here but i'm eight here so mm-hmm. that's weird um but yeah it and, makes sense yeah go and ahead i feel like even that would fade with time also because you know right now if i'm thinking back on a time with my parents i don't think i distinguish well between a time that i was five or six versus eight you know that kind of blends in a little bit um so yeah i feel like even that would change with time um but yeah that's kind of how i was thinking about it too that it allows them to make any connections and kind of heal in any way they need to um without inflicting or re-inflicting that trauma needlessly um the jamie said a couple times that this wasn't her story to tell uh what do you think she meant by that um yeah <laughs> that's that's kind of a question that just came to my mind do you think she's saying that specifically this was danny's story or just that what we were just saying she doesn't want to yeah tell this to them she doesn't want to inflict this on them but yeah i mean it could be a little bit of both like it's not my story to tell because if i tell you it's my story you'll want to know who i what, which part I played in that. Right. Um, 
So one is to preserve the kids knowledge of the fact that they went through that with her. But two, I think really it's, it's her love for Danny, that it's, it's Danny's story. Um, because she really is the hero in, in the whole thing. You know, we have this villain who she doesn't know is a villain until the second to last episode where she meets her um, and it's like, ah, you know, gets dragged by her and stuff. Um, but, but it is, it's Danny's story. So I think it's both. I think it's mm-hmm. to protect the kids and to, to pay homage to Danny. Yeah. It's a little bit, it's a little bit Flora, Flora's story too. I mean, if she's, you know, if Jamie's telling the story to them, um, you know, it could be a subtle way of saying it's not my story. It's your story. And I was yeah. there, you know, um, but uh, yeah. And up until uh, Danny is possessed by the lady in the lake, Jamie is like pretty unaffected by everything. Like she doesn't live there. Um, so yeah, yeah she, in some ways she's telling the stories of other people through most of the story. And then, yeah, we see as Flora sees also like, this isn't a ghost story. This is a love story. Um, and so we've talked a couple of times about how uh, ghost stories and love stories are really closely related um, in this uh, show. And that's just an interesting premise to me that the show puts forward. And so I was just kind of wondering if you guys had any more thoughts on that or any uh, final comments or thoughts that we haven't talked about. Just kind of, yeah, where, what are the last lingering things on your mind? Uh, Owen's puns. <laughs> you would. <laughs> uh, I love that his restaurant's called uh, Batter Place. Boom. Um, and he had, yeah, he had some good ones like uh, Al- Alcohol You Later. And- yes. Yeah. And be like, even for you, that was yeah. bad. <laughs> um, I'm a sucker for long takes and puns, so I laughed out loud when he said that. <laughs> um, but yeah, if, Sandra, if you want, if you had something more of substance to, <laughs> to add to it. <laughs> puns are plenty sub- substance. Um, you know, I always go to like the heady place, right? So for me... Um, when you talk about ghost stories and love stories, you know, it's a reminder as if we could ever forget that we don't get to keep our loved ones forever. We aren't here forever. Um, you know, odds are we are holding on to love right now that can go nowhere because the person isn't here to love. You know, that's what they say about um, grief. It's like, it's love that has no place to go. Um, so we are either in, in the love place where we're loving, but it has, no place to go or we're the ghost because we've gone and we've left behind people who are, who are holding that love. Um, you know, so I guess at the end of the day, one day we'll be ghosts too. Right. So mm-hmm. we better love well while we're here. Yeah. Which is not quite as fun as puns. <laughs> no. um, yeah. I feel like this show invites you as I feel like any good story does, but uh, good horror has has a good way of inviting you to really think about the fundamentals <laughs> you know life death what does it all mean is there anything else what are the rules of that other place um and so i feel like this show didn't really 
talk much about, you know, an afterlife per se. Like, where did those ghosts go when they were released from the Lady in the Lake's gravity well? You know, the show doesn't really say. Um, Hannah, even as a ghost, was very religious. And that's interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So I, I feel like this is a story that invites us to think about the big things, you know, think about um, what we believe, how we treat people, how we love. Um, yeah, kind of invites us to live and engage fully. Um, yeah, and I'm super excited for season three. They haven't announced it yet, but I feel like with how well both these shows have done, I can't imagine that they won't let him make something else. Mike Flanagan. Well, I know they're making um, Black Black Mass. Yeah, Midnight know. Mass or something. Yeah, or Midnight Mass. Or Black Mass is, I think that's the Johnny Depp, Whitey Bulger movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I, I don't, I think it exists outside of the Hill Howl or the haunting right. kind of universe. Um, yeah. But I think it's still a lot of the same people <laughs> moving over yeah. to um, I actually like that. To me, it's like yeah. American Horror Story. So it's like, all right, who are who are we playing today? You know, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's like old, yeah, like old Hollywood films, or even like Twilight Zone, where you have like characters yeah. or people playing different characters and different. Or just Meredith. Yeah. <laughs> How many did he play? <laughs> yeah, that, that stuff's cool. Well, I yeah. feel like this is the time that we should summon Tim back. Now that we're done talking <gasps> about all the spooky stuff. <laughs> and he can give us well, right the snap um uh, and so tim i was just i was honestly curious if you had any thoughts or reflections from our conversation or anything that was haunting you yeah i think even though i am not a horror person for the most part i will say i love uh jordan peele's stuff mm-hmm. uh, uh but more traditional ghosts demons paranormal stuff that is not my normal cup of tea but i do think in daylight hours outside like having a picnic <laughs> i am gonna push myself through this show because it sounds fantastic yeah, yeah. I, uh, start i'll with say season I, one start with season one yes i will yeah you could i mean in the daylight with the picnic so you're basically talking about midsummer all right yeah. <laughs> that that's <the> next <laughs> time uh, have it so it. far away from my wife uh, fixating uh, on it long time so. scary horror movies and stuff like that and when i was wanting to watch uh Bly manor um you know it's, it's i usually watch stuff at night and she's like you want to watch watch this at night but she was actually able to watch pretty much the whole show at night i would say this like Bly manor is not as like spooky as uh hill house hill house definitely has got the more of the horror and vibe um bly manor uh, i feel like i would say is way more um character driven and it it really like humanizes the ghosts yeah yeah they're ghosts in a gothic romance it's not horror forward um whereas the haunting of hill house i watched an episode or two and then took a break for a couple weeks (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> some of it just got under my skin and i'm like nope nope um and you know going back to what i was saying about storytellers i didn't know 
this group yet so i didn't know if i trusted them or not yet so i had no clue where it was going and it just was so unnerving for me but i'm really <laughs> glad that i finished it mm -hmm. well thank you justin nick sandra you guys have been wonderful and put on a wonderful conversation for us this evening huge thank you to all of you especially because i didn't have to watch uh, a horror film with everything else that's going on um or horror series but uh that is it for today's show please make sure that you subscribe to this channel for more uh geek content and hit that like button it does very much help us out and please hit the bell icon as well for notifications all of this will be on our other channels it's on our facebook page it is on our podcasts uh feed all of the info for that will be in the description below so if you want to come back to this content you can find it in any one of many places hope you guys are all super well and thank you so much for tuning in we will see you on the next show see you guys later